I think maybe first we need to remove peace away, give peace a new meaning, and then bring people back on board that peace is not just politics, peace is your peace of mind, which is a human right. Falcha. Welcome to Connected Communication, a podcast exploring the intriguing interplay between language, culture and the brain through the lens of self-awareness. I'm your host, Christine. My guest this week used the word synchronicity, a simultaneous occurrence of events which appear significantly related but have no discernible causal connection as the dictionary would define it. She couldn't have realised how synchronous her interview was with the interview that was on the uh, the show last week. I found my guest today through an article that I read online which gave me a link through to watch her TEDx talk. And for whatever reason, inside me when I watched the TED talk, I thought, I need to speak to this woman. I'm going to find her on LinkedIn if she's there and see if she might come on the podcast. After a few days, I'm guessing of listening to the podcast to make sure I was legitimate. She said, yeah, I'll come on. Her TEDx talk was about hearing behind an accent, seeing beyond an accent, hearing beyond an accent. And last week, if you've listened to the episode, you'll have heard Heather my incredible guest, give the definition of connected communication as being able to hear beyond an accent. Seeing and hearing beyond the thing that's just put in front of you when you speak to a person. I interviewed Heather and my guest today in the same week. I don't think they've ever met each other. Well, not yet anyway. Maybe I need to make introductions. But that synchronicity really strikes true for me. When I've reflected over the two interviews, looked at the notes, listened to what the two women, women had to say and, and put everything together. Hearing beyond an accent is not the only thing that synchronised these two interviews or the voices of these two ladies and indeed the voice that I bring across as well. We are all passionate and advocates of the importance of self-awareness in a world of communication where we are becoming more and more globalised every day, connecting with each, with, with each other, with different people from different walks of life, different experiences, neurodivergences, neurodiversities, accents, abilities, capabilities, beliefs, opinions, ideas and attitudes. As my guest says today, everyone has an accent and the faster and sooner we realise that, whether you're speaking English or speaking Dutch, French, Spanish, German or any other type of language, you have an accent. You may come from the north or the south or the east or the west of a country. You may come from the Midlands. You have an accent. And if you are an English speaker, your English isn't perfect, despite what you may think you hear when you let the words fall out of your mouth. Again, as my guest says today. There are so many areas for me to go down or to go into that we talked about that I'm struggling to choose one, if I'm totally honest with you. 
in the podcast episodes that are coming at the end of October and moving into November, I have decided that I'm going to do some solo episodes again. I miss it. I miss doing my research. I miss bringing my voice to the podcast. So I'm going to pause some of the interviews that are coming later on in the year and go a little bit deeper into some of the topics that I have discussed with my guests over the past couple of months, but particularly the topics that I discussed with Heather, the topics that I discussed with Adriana and what's coming up with Pedro next week on the podcast. Accent bias, accent exclusion and inclusion, self-inclusion and self-awareness, the power and the importance of reflecting on ourselves and our actions and our behaviours, how our accents are formed. Adriana, who is my guest today, as you will hear in a couple of moments, and I had a really great discussion and a bit of exploration on how natural our accents are and whether or not we can adapt them. Typically, when we move into different states, different areas and different parts of cities, towns and countries, or whether that is something that can only be done, as she mentions, as an anomaly. And then whether it can be done in a second language or third language or fourth language or not. And the jury's still out, but I definitely know that I've got a few pieces of research in my repertoire of reading that I'm going to share with you in the next couple of weeks. I have to be honest with you and say that this is one of my most favourite interviews. The direction that we took, which you heard a little bit of at the beginning, just before the music played, was not a direction that I expected at all. As being someone who's from the northeast coast of Ireland, from a border town below the north, a lot of what Adriana talked about rang very, very true for me. I grew up in the times when the bombing was over, but we, we still had bomb scares. We would be evacuated from my work on a regular basis, just in case the building was going to blow up. And she's now living in an area that's full of change, moving towards a place of a different kind of peace that maybe Ireland has never I shouldn't say has never, we did have it over 800 years ago, certainly, but that Ireland hasn't seen in my lifetime, in the lifetime of my great grandparents, of my grandparents or those of, of Adriana herself. And she is a part to play in this process. I didn't expect to go the way we went. And I don't want to add anything of mine, particularly at the beginning that's going to take away from, well, I don't think sure wouldn't take away from it. I shouldn't be saying that about myself. I wouldn't take away from it. I don't want to add anything at the beginning that might extend this episode too much that you won't stay to listen to what she has to talk about as we move closer to the end. It really is fascinating to listen to. We redefine terms like native speaker, psychological safety. We talk about redefining peace and just go in directions that I couldn't ever have imagined we would have gone in. So let me just go to say one thing before we go into the episode today. This happened to me a lot when I was in northern Spain on the Camino last year. 
and it was something that I'd never noticed happened before, nor had experienced. I'm still not sure why it gets asked. It's something that I'm currently exploring the more people who ask me it, but Spain is the only country I've ever been asked it. And before I say what it is that I was asked, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm actually thinking maybe I'm being asked in Spain because there's so much divergence in Spain in terms of the different parts. What I mean is Barcelona, are you from Barcelona? Are you from Spain? So in other words, Catalonia or from Spain? Are you from Galicia? Are you from Spain? Are you from the Basque country? Are you from Spain? So maybe it's because of those divisions that I get this question a lot in Spain. When people say, where are you from? Right, the, the topic or the question of the hour, the, the question that we talked about on the podcast last week with Heather and that I, I decided to title the podcast on. People say, where are you from? Fine, I'm from Ireland. I'm not Spanish. I'm, I don't sound Spanish. I'm not likely to ever sound completely Spanish. And I'm OK with being asked where I'm from. I'm from Ireland. It's not a, a question as a, as a microaggression, which is different exactly as Heather defined last week. But here's the bit that then becomes that. It's, I, I don't know if I can call it a microaggression because people don't realise what it feels like for me to be asked this. But the next question that I get is. So, so let me let me role play it, actually. Where are you from? From Ireland, a town called Dundalk. Oh, uh, and they may have heard of it. They may not have heard of it. Oh, a town called Dundalk on the northeast coast. Oh, is it near Dublin? Yeah, it's above Dublin, about an hour above Dublin. Oh, in the north or the south? I'm from Ireland. It's the same thing. Now, there might be people listening to this who are from the north of Ireland who, for them, believe they live in the UK. That's fine. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm from the south. I, I have my my background. I have my beliefs. And for me, I'm from Ireland. And Ireland is, a, is an island. And, and Ireland is a whole island. But when somebody says to me, which party are you from, north or south? For me, it's it's that is... Maybe it is a microaggression. I need to look into it a bit further. Don't ask me that question. When I say I'm from Ireland, I say I'm from Ireland. It doesn't matter to me whether I'm from the north or the south. I'm from Ireland. It's the country of Ireland. And when you ask that question, you delve deeper than the person has given you permission to delve. And therefore may spike or spark a little bit of a trigger in that person. So it's a bit like the where are you from question. No, where are you really from? It's just asked a little bit differently. And I refer to this because we talked about peace to, in the episode. And because I've been asked this question quite a number of times and it, it does keep spiking that response in me. And I do honestly answer it in that way. When we get to that from the north or the south. Well, I'm from Ireland. But then that causes a tension in the conversation and you see sort of the person tilt their head back a little bit. Oh, they know that they've asked something that they shouldn't have asked. And some people might think, and oh, that's really passive aggressive or you don't need to say it like that. Why don't you just say, oh, it's in the South. And of course, I eventually end up saying it because that's what you feel you need to do to soften the blow, to bring the conversation back into a place of, of balance and reconnection. 
but I just would prefer not to have to be asked it at all. So anyone who's listened to this, if I'm making you think in any way or if I'm sparking any thinking or any, any feelings or any emotions or you've had experiences about this, either, either or, if you're from the North and, and you're thinking it's fine to be asked that the North's part of the UK, that's grand. That's, that's where, where your thinking is and I accept that. Uh, do feel free to send me a message and, and give me your thoughts on it. I'd love to hear it. But Adriana talked quite a lot about peace and she's going to be part of a program working towards peace. And part of that peace finding is not asking those questions or knowing when it's appropriate to ask those questions and not. Connected with being asked this kind of question. I knew somebody or I know somebody who used to talk about going over to visit the north of Ireland. And when they go over, they're a very curious person. They like to understand and ask questions about things. They'd go over and they'd go into the north and they'd start asking people about the IRA and about the troubles and, and the history and the fights and the disconnection. And I remember hearing them telling a story. And when they were telling the story, they were shocked at the fact that nobody would tell them anything or talk to them. And I'm sitting listening to them tell this story thinking, well, you're an English person coming over into the north of Ireland, asking people in the north of Ireland about their the private business with the Troubles. Terrorist, so-called terrorist armies. And expecting them to give you answers when these are topics that we actually don't raise ourselves between each other. You know. It's an unwritten, maybe an unspoken rule between the North and the South that you just, you don't talk about those things. You know who you can talk about them with. But they don't get raised in public, certainly. And you don't ask about them if you're not from within the community or within a certain section. So I reflect on this now and I'm talking about it because of everything that I talked about with Adriana today. Just to raise these, this thinking to, to, as you listen to this podcast and you hear me and you hear what's coming up in me and definitely it's some of my own learned bias, learned beliefs and belief is a whole other thing that we can go into in another episode, but they're triggers and their emotions and they're thing that, things that come up in me that have been developed in me through my family, through my childhood. Again, as Adriana refers to when we, we talk in the podcast episode today, they are the, thing, the kaleidoscope of beliefs, of colours that make up me. If you don't know what I mean when I say kaleidoscope or the kaleidoscope of colours that make up me, stick with us until the end and Adriana will explain it to you. And I'm aware of them. And so we circle back to the importance of self-awareness. The importance that I place on self-awareness, understanding ourselves from a lot of different perspectives, understanding what makes us tick, what makes us upset, what makes, what makes us smile, what gives us joy, what pushes us forwards, what pulls us back. What, what is it inside me that when somebody asks me that question, I go, oh, don't ask me that. And how important is it for me to, to, to potentially need to change? that reaction is it important for me to change that reaction do I need to or is that something that I am happy sticking with and not making a change to 
that's up to me to figure out and decide. It's up to me to explore, to become introspective on, to self-reflect on. Because the beginning of understanding, the beginning of inclusion, starts with the self. If I don't face up to what I understand, what I know, what I think, what I believe, what I perceive and what I feel, I am excluding myself from being able to be included by others and from including myself in others because I'm not understanding the world from their perspectives. I'm seeing it only through mine. Now I'm talking about myself and giving all of this as an example. Let's reflect for you. As you listen today to me speak, what am I sparking in you? What fire do you feel as I speak? What joy do you feel as I speak? What connects with you? What makes you think, oh, what's she talking about? Or, yeah, I get what she's talking about. I've had a similar experience. As you hear Adriana speak and share her fascinating story, sad, and, and yet joyous in many ways, the, the story of life, story, what resonates with you when you hear her? What can you take away from it that will help you understand your perceptions better, yourself better, that will allow you to become more self-inclusive in a world where we are globally more connected than we have ever been, where we are uniting in celebration of our differences and finding our similarities, understanding and uncovering how to clearly communicate with each other have definitions that we can share, find a place of respect, balance, and work towards it to find some semblance of peace that works for us all. I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Adriana as much as I enjoyed it. It was such a pleasure to speak to her. Do please make sure, as always, that if you've resonated with it, you get in contact with me. I really appreciate you. I'm going to just mention a couple of people here, Laura, uh, Tanya and who else was it? David, who've connected with me recently and given me comments on the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate hearing from you. You touch my heart to know that it it, it matters to you, that it's having an impact and it's bringing something to your lives. Oh, I'm, no, there's somebody else I want to mention, but I'm going to keep him for another day. Any questions that you have that you want me to answer, do tell me, let me know. I love answering people's questions from my own perspective. I can't tell you if it's the right answer or not, but let me know. Get in touch. For now, otherwise, enjoy the kaleidoscope of conversation that I have with my guest today. As you're listening, connect in with yourself. Find that bit of awareness that you can. If you want to open up your perception to allow it to potentially shift or put it all away and say, nah, that's not for me. It's for somebody else. And maybe I'll come back to it on a different day. Enjoy. Adriana Morvayova. You spoke your first words in Hungarian, wrote your first words in Slovakian, and dare I say it, 
shaped your first English accent with a Northern Irish twang. Welcome to the show. I'm going to try this and please correct me if I am very bad. Adriana Morvaiova. Perfect. Absolutely spot on. Thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute delight. Can you share a little bit more detail on that incredible birth into multiple languages? I certainly, certainly very happy to to share a little bit of an insight, you know, of, of my background, where I come from. So I grew up in a small village on the border between Hungary and Slovakia. My family um, is originally from Hungary, but they were part of years and years ago, around the 40s, 30s, 40s and the 50s. They were part of this thing called the ethnic cleansing. So my family got deported between Slovakia and Hungary numerous occasions. So um, I knew my great-grandparents. That's how I, I know I'm coming from a, um, a family of four generations growing up under one roof. Um, my great-grandfather was born in 1910, my great-grandmother in 1924, and I knew them. I knew them uh, until the age of us. 17 and then my great-grandfather passed away two days before I moved to Northern Ireland. Um, so I heard a lot of stories about them, you know, having to pack up a bag each and being put on a lorry and transported to Hungary and then back again and back and forth, back and forth about three, four times. And, and how we became Slovakian citizens is then at the final occasion when my great-grandfather, we lived in Slovakia at the time, and the um, the officers came round again and they said, you again have been selected as being, you know, someone who needs to move back to Hungary, but you have an option this time that if you surrender your Hungarian heritage and your Hungarian citizenship, you will be Slovakianized and you can keep your land and your home. So at this stage, in the 40s, my great-grandfather has signed a paper to become a Slovakian citizen to keep his family roof over his head and his land. Wow. And that's how I am now officially a Slovakian citizen. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. It, it resonates with me now. And maybe it's quite apt that you've landed in Northern Ireland. I hear my grandfather's voice in my head as you tell this story. He His family was shipped out of the north, well not shipped, they were sent running out of the north of Ireland, had to resettle and find their home in Dublin and actually smuggle their children into their home in Dublin during the Troubles. So yeah, it seems quite fitting that you chose the, the north of Ireland. Was there any connection there to that? Um, it's interesting that I think I deep down believe in synchronicity. I believe what I went through as a child and growing up on the border and having multiple identities from multiple cultures, also holding multiple accents, I felt like home, Northern Ireland felt like home and Ireland felt like home. At the time I had some, when I moved to Northern Ireland, I knew someone who relocated to the area. So that's how I selected. But somewhere there was that subconscious connection that I felt at home. I instantly settled in well. The community instantly took to me, maybe because they understood that I had these multiple identities that I was juggling on a daily basis. Even though when I first moved to Northern Ireland, it was myself and my mother. We bought 
a one-way ticket and we had one suitcase each and we couldn't speak any English. So we landed with zero English skills and zero jobs lined up. So the beginnings were, were super humble and I my beginnings were always keep me humble. Um, I think also I understood because where I live, where I grew up in Slovakia, around the border that used to that these Hungarian communities had no rights back in those days. So somewhere I can relate to how the Irish people felt when they moved to, let's say, in, in America and they had no rights. And you we remember, and I remember talking about these signs that no Blacks, no Irish, no dogs. And clearly my family comes not the exact same experience, somewhat to a very small level similar not having the rights and being the outsiders in a country within you know in an area of it inside a border that used to be a different country so somewhere maybe subconsciously I knew that people will get me yeah wow wow what a rich story so would you say this is is what's led you to work so fervently in the area of diversity and inclusion? Very much. I also, I grew up, um, our home, our house where I grew up with my parents then um, was right beside a um, Roma family. So I grew up um, beside um, sort of a gypsy family. So I knew and experienced by watching them that they were treated differently. They had very little rights. They had people calling them names and damaging their property. So I grew up in that as well, watching that. But yet I was interacting with that family on a daily basis and they were just normal humans. So that was another experience that played into those emotions and the feelings I had, like I need to be involved around people and being involved, Ryan, speaking up for the people who ha don't have a voice as such. Mm. And so you say there that they were just people, everyday, normal people. That links me into what I heard, or and I think the title of your TEDx talk, with respect to them, you were seeing yeah. beyond the judgment yeah, or the perception. Sure. But in yeah. this case, now you're talking about, can you hear beyond yeah. an accent and see the human behind the voice which for me is just <laughs> such a beautiful line so what 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 led you to this to to talking about hearing behind the accent and seeing the human it's because it's my personal experience as well and working with people from all over the world and experiences around specifically in Northern Ireland, then learning the language and picking up the accent and have being treated differently as a foreign national because of my accent. I have been treated better than, for example, other people, let's say from Poland or even Slovakia who have stronger accents. I've noticed the difference. I, through an experience of a conversation when I overheard two colleagues um, in an office say, talking about um, another colleague from India and they were saying, oh, I can't be bothered talking to such and such because 
his or her English is terrible or I can't make out their accent. So um, watching people in difficulties, watching people in conversation and communication where they are really trying to explain something, but the person is just not even giving them a chance because they're used to hearing something, let's say, receive pronunciation or American English or British English. And you can literally pick up on the bias of the other person standing in front of them and not even trying. That lack of trying, that frustrated me, that people just automatically default to this bias that, oh, they're, they're different, I'm not even going to understand them. Well, have you tried? And yeah, that given led to me a few... to that. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm nodding my head here, listeners, as, as Adriana and I look at each other. I've given out to a few taxi drivers and bus drivers in my lifetime for not even trying as I help people getting onto the bus. Yeah, This matters to me hugely because of the experiences I had as someone growing up in Dundalk, a border town in the south of Ireland, but very close to the north. And the bias and judgment that we get, whether we go south or north, the bias is different. But either way, it's there and you get the comments and the look of, well, we all have our trouble. We all have our problems. And you think, what is that supposed to mean? So you're talking there a little bit about that listening. And you mentioned in your TEDx talk the common misconceptions that people can have, some of the common misconceptions that people can have, one of those being that they're not able to understand. Is this part of the work that you do to help people learn how they can understand better absolutely and I, I try even in my in my role as a full-time role as diversity and inclusion specialist but even in my private life or as an individual I try to spend as much time to talk about ways that people maybe process information and it could be let's say neurolinguistic programming um, how people talking to people about that we don't pick our accents we don't we're born with them we're born with our accents as babies we're born with a clean palate we're born well debatable whether we're born with a clean palate because the recent research that I was reading that as the baby is growing in the mother's as it's going through um, pregnancy, the child starts to pick up on voices mm -hmm. and signs and yeah, I don't even know, fifth or sixth month, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly third trimester, picking up already. So I feel like that's where already we're starting to pick up the accents. Um, and then when we're born, we only hear our mother and father and maybe grandmother, grandfather and a very small group of people. So that's what we learn. Then that's how we speak. So um, we're at the fault our, ourselves because we create our own biases such. You know, our communities create biases and our family will create our bias for us mm -hmm. <laughs> without us being part of the decision. Yeah. So, yes, definitely. Um, and everything from... Um, so helping people understand that you don't pick your accent, you do have an accent, your English is not perfect just because you hear yourself and you think you're perfect it's not perfect you also have an accent 
and the subconscious um, filter people have that they don't even sometimes you know what it is people not are not in a present moment they they they're just in their compulsive impulsive continuous thinking everything everything like let's say you're driving and you're doing it you, you don't even know that you're doing it and i think that's the same for listening you think you're listening but i don't think you're listening There's, and that's why we have all these workshops around active listening and and holding space and all of these things so I, I i try to i try to sometimes slow down people so they can be present in the moment and and ask questions whether they actually heard me or not nice okay well there's lots to unpack there i want to jump back if i can to please you're not choosing your accent just press yeah. you a little bit on that because i hear I hear a, a very strong a Northern Irish list coming in there. But would you not say that if you were to live, and I think you might have said something about this in your, your TEDx, if you were to move to Cork, for example, or Dublin, yeah. have you been, I have, what part of Ireland have you been in more? Uh, Dublin, quite often, Kerry. Right, right so if we make it relevant yeah. then. So say yeah. Dublin. And you lived there for a while. Do you not reckon that you, you'd shape your accent differently? There are some very, there's a very, very small number of cases, they would call them anomalies, where people have the ability to pick up accents. But yeah, like to a point, like I did, like I picked up the Northern Irish accent. But the reason why that is because I started at zero. I could not pick up the Dublin accent now because I already, I am fluent. If I was to delete this history back to zero and let's say, right, let give you an example. If I was to start learning German, I used to speak German years ago, but I'm back to zero. If I was to move to, let's say, Berlin and whatever accent is there, I would pick up the Berlin accent learning German. If I was to learn Spanish, if I moved to Valencia, I would pick up the Valencian accent because that's my that's my zero, like like a reference point. That's yeah, my yeah, yeah, zero point you. and I build up from there. Right. That's why I have a Northern Irish accent because I started my zero point learning the language here. Okay. I have to think about this one now because I the way that you've just said it, it I then I'm an anomaly because where I go, yeah. my accent goes. Mm -hmm. And I adapt and shift how I sound sometimes subconsciously yeah. to the listener. Yeah. So so I can it's interesting for me it doesn't work with English but it works with my other free so I free I speak three languages fluently so I'm fluent in Slovakian so if I go to Slovakia it will take me a day or two but I will fully immerse myself into that accent and nobody will know I'm not native then I can go to Hungary a few days later again I will need a day or two active listening and again I will be back into that local accent. Nobody will know I'm not native. And then I come back to Northern Ireland a day or two. And then again, I'm back to my, and nobody knows. Right. Yes, there are some words. People people can hear whatever they want to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. I have been previously called an apple picker because I sound like I am from Armagh. <laughs> and I'm like. And there's, there's a lovely bias there. You're an apple picker. All right. Okay. 
because all people in our mouth pick apples. Um, yeah, because nice. I sound like from our mouth, or I someone okay. said I sound like I'm from Scotland. So different, different biases. Absolutely, and and this really is evidence of people hearing what is preconceived in their minds and in yeah. their experiences. I used to have great fun with students when I was teaching English, trying to get them to pick my nationality in Dublin. And I would get German and Russian, Australian, everything but Irish on a regular basis. I sort of stand there thinking, how is this possible? Long before I did my, yeah. my research and my learning in neuroscience. Well, I, I th- you said something very interesting there. And before we go to the native part, that it doesn't happen to you in English. No. So do you firmly believe that if you went to Dublin and you lived in Dublin for a few years, you wouldn't reshape your vowels in a way that would make you sound a bit I could not like assimilate? Firm, yeah, I could not give you a firm answer on that. I have never I've never tried it. Right. I have never tried it. But maybe it's worth an experiment. Maybe I just need to move somewhere else to try. You're, you're making me think this now because I normally live in Spain. Yeah. And I did Spanish at college. Uh-huh. And we we learned Spanish, Spanish, but also South American Spanish. Uh-huh. So now I'm probably at about a B2 again. Mm-hmm. I would have been advanced. A B2 is, is upper intermediate for, for listeners who wouldn't know that, that framework. Yeah. I would have been high advanced when I finished college. Yeah. And I live in Andalusia. So the very south where they cut their S's and they cut a lot of vowel sounds. I'm, and you've got me thinking now, right. So if I'm, I'm going to learn Andalusian Spanish and the accent in that way as I speak now. But what will happen if I go to Valencia after that and then speak? Oh, we might have to reconvene in a year or, or two and talk about this again. Maybe you can go and have a holiday time in Dublin. <laughs> I will be in Dublin in January. Right. So, would you, if you, if it comes to you and you have the opportunity, will you give it a go? See if, if there's a different shape of the vowel sounds that you might be able to, without making the dubs feel like you're mimicking them, of course. And let's let's have a chat about it. I think that's fascinating. Is it natural for me because it's English that I'm speaking, mm-hmm. and will it not necessarily happen for me in Spanish? fascinating anybody who's listening if you have the answer to this and you're able to adapt your accent in a language that is not your first please get in touch with either myself or Adriana and share your information we would love to hear from you well I'm, I would love to hear Absolutely. from you <laughs> I don't want to place that decision upon you let me go to native non-native and we talked a little bit about biases I I believe that we need to abolish the term native English speaker, native speaker in general, but native English speaker, because it is loaded with bias, creates a misconception that someone is less than or greater than. What are your thoughts? That's a very um, good um, suggestion that you made there. I still use the word native. I think before we can totally get rid of that, what can we offer for, mm. do you know, high mother tongue? It's a hard one. I've been, I've been struggling with this for a couple of years. Then we're approaching a different bias again. Mm. Because is it your mother tongue? You have to. Yeah. Who says your mother taught you? Could be a father tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
grandmother tongue so yeah. we're in a different kind of worms so yeah parent tongue guardian tongue yeah <laughs> for yeah. sure at so, the minute I use first language English speaker and it's too long yeah what, what do you think so you sorry you said so there what was the, yeah the yeah option? I think so, I don't have an answer for that but um we could maybe use what's your what's your natural language or we could use maybe childhood language. Yeah, yeah natural. Oh, default language, maybe. Oh, well, then, because you might default to Slovakian with a Slovakian, you might default, default to Hungarian, to Hungarian with a Hungarian. So I default to Hungarian. Depends. I default to Hungarian with my mother. Right. But then I do, I continuously code switch. Uh-huh. For so, listeners, what's code switching? The code switching means when you would switch um, and let's say in a paragraph of a conversation, you would switch to multiple languages. So I, when I'm having a conversation with my mother, it's normally in three languages. So we we go Hungarian, Slovakian, English continuously. And even in a sentence, for example, we would okay. switch between different languages. Our shopping list is trilingual. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Alexa must not know what's going on. We don't have an Alexa because we, she's not we even... would burn burn the program out. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a good one actually. A bias in AI. I had recently had a lady on my podcast called Roberta. Yeah. She's originally Zulu, South African, now living in America. And she sent me a message about something that she'd realized in transcribing her podcasts. She recognized that when she says certain words or names, the piece of AI technology she uses to transcribe doesn't pick her up. Mm. And if you think about then Alexa, she's technically supposed to have an Irish accent, the one who's speaking in my sister's kitchen, but she doesn't pick up things like fair play to you, you know, and those terms that we have. So if you put an Alexa in your kitchen, I'm guessing... What what would happen? Um, there would be a struggle <laughs> trying yeah. to again. Um, I think I would need to be conscious when I am requesting a piece of information from Alexa that I would use one language. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah, mm. tough question. I don't use Alexa. I never did. Mm. Um, so, but I would. I think if I was. Yeah, I would need to be a conscious choice for me to give clear instructions to the program for it to understand. Otherwise, there uh, would be a confusion between languages. Yeah, and it demonstrates to how far away AI is from naturalization. Can use that word? If you want to go deeper, you go from the next piece. You've got code switching when you when you pronounce clear words from the from each language, but then you've got and code mixing code mixing means when you create one word out of two languages and we we also do that we also mix code um so that's that's alexa game over yeah and and that's that shows the power oh, in multilingualism yes doesn't it correct absolutely we do something called translanguaging when training in in English anyway, and particularly in this CLIL approach, you say one sentence or chunk of words in English, for example, and then say them in the 
natural language, default language. Well, let's test them out <laughs> as we talk. Yeah. Preference language. Not, not, I like natural language. It kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I have to think about it to let that sit because something is going to find a challenge. To na- What's your natural language? The natural language that you use. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because yeah, then some people can go body language. Yeah. <laughs> I speak with my eyebrows. I don't know. Um, yeah, they could. And then could we could it end up with just as much bias? I'm a natural English speaker. Ah, but what does it mean to be an unnatural English speaker then? Right. And and how does that feel? It's the bias we want to try and smash through. Anyway, we, we could go down a, a, quite a tangent oh, there, I think, yeah. on that one, couldn't we? Uh, so translanguaging, that sandwiching of one language inside mm-hmm. two others. And as you say, then the code mixing, being able to move between maybe even if we think about it in English, Northern Irish English and Irish English, Hiberno into Northern Irish slang or, or terminology. Because when I go up north, I need different terms than the terms that I would use down south. How can people help themselves to do that or to learn how to do that? To learn how to do just just code switch more easily and and mix their languages in a way that makes them feel confident and comfortable. I think the key piece here is self awareness. Mm. You know, you need to understand your languages. You need to understand yourself when you're communicating with other people. When is your bias creeping in? And when you have that level of self-awareness, then you may not want to code switch as much because you're aware that you're talking to someone whose English levels are different, for example, or um, you're more aware of the differences when you're fully aware of yourself. Therefore, there's more time for you to slow down to communicate. Therefore, you communicate better. Therefore, no need for mixing and switching. Lovely, lovely. And what do you think about being in an environment where you know you have multilingual a multilingual group and the multilingual group is multilingual in a monolingual way in that they all speak the same second or third or fourth language and English, for instance. Say it's a classroom. Would you be for or against that environment having code switching in it? For the for the learning process, I mean. Okay. Great question. Great question. I wouldn't, as long as the class at the starts at the start starts with defining base guidelines for or you know keeping guidelines for the communication so there's less of a chance of someone feeling excluded. Mm-hmm. And it could be anything from acronyms, slang, idioms, all of those. Um, also, when it comes to, I work, so the company I work for specifically in Northern Ireland, we have 24 different nationalities. And these are, These are super diverse teams of 
working in tech from engineers. So there's going to be debate. There's going to be clash. And these are all multilingual humans. And they're amazing. So, and there's when there's a debate, 90% of the time the debate is about defining not um, different ideas, but the understanding of what they're debating. Oh. Because once everybody's debating the same thing and the definition is the same, it's so much easier to move forward and find innovation, clear solutions, agreement, collaboration. But the disagreement always happens about in the misunderstanding piece at the start when you do not define some basic guidelines for these multilingual, multidimensional humans to communicate. Oh, so when you're doing this, I'm hearing clarity there, brevity, maybe being concise, succinct in the message being, being transmitted. What do you do to help them? I think psychological safety is also very important for people to have the ability to pause a conversation or to speak up or to raise a hand to go, I didn't understand or I didn't hear you well or help me understand. So if there's that, if we create that safe space in that, in that team, that also aids the communication and helps the output of a result. Mm. Mm. So guidelines, psychological safety, and we can maybe talk about other things around, you know, understanding how people process information. Okay. I talked to a lady the other day who is doing a lot of work on accent inclusion and mm -hmm. uh, accent bias. We talked a little bit about psychological safety and psychological safety across cultures and whether it means the same thing in the West as it does in the East. What do you think of that? Psychological safety, again, me and you can debate what psychological safety means, the actual meaning of it. So I believe everybody has a different explanation or understanding what psychological safety means. But it also, I think there's an element of self-inclusion. Mm. So, and, and again, self-inclusion will lead me back to self-awareness. For me, self-awareness, uh, it's very hard for, for me to sit in any session to try and teach anyone about psychological safety if they're not self-aware and they don't include themselves fully. They will never embrace psychological safety, no matter how much definition I will give them. Um, or, or definition they find for themselves. Correct. And then it kind of comes back to, I think, the definition of psychological safety for the organization. This is how we define it. Now, what does it mean for you? Yeah. And let's explore that meaning for everybody to come to a collective understanding so that we can move forwards. I believe psychological safety has, an L, has a cultural filter. I think yeah. every single culture or country or community or tribe has a different understanding of psychological safety. 
So we yeah. can never go into and generally throw the phrase around in any team building exercise or performance building that, oh, we're going to work on the psychological safety. Okay, but what does it mean? Yeah, yeah. Come on, share your stories. No, we don't do that in my culture. Don't ask me to talk about that. I'm going to embarrass myself and then I'll embarrass everybody else. I'm going to do oh, the total well, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> or we want, or we need to let the elders speak first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or women need to be called upon or like it's it's a minefield. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me shift on then, because I think we could talk about that for ages <laughs> and what to do with it. And we could probably workshop it out, actually, <laughs> what yeah. to do there. But you've given some some great guidance. Have your guidelines on communication define what psychological safety or whatever the term or message is for everyone and offer the opportunity and space for people to say they don't understand or to clarify again in a way that works for them maybe it's by sending a private message in the middle of the conference or the middle of the meeting to say can someone get that explained for me because I don't want to put myself forwards yet we share views on, on self-awareness. I have a model of neurocultural communication based on awareness. And the first part is always of the self, for sure. One thing the Greeks got right. I'm not saying they got everything or even a lot right. And I would also <laughs> maybe offer for people to embrace pause and silence. Beautiful. I don't think we do that often enough, whether in meetings, whether in collaboration, whether in conversations with family, friends, anyone and work environment i i am teaching on a daily basis i work with numerous employee resource groups globally but the one thing i always tell them embrace silence silence is not there to hurt you silence will create a space for even the other person to maybe find a different thought a different view find maybe that maybe pause that bias that they were about to you know practice on you or whatever um silence is powerful can be used both positive and negative ways um yeah let's respect that with a bit of silence yeah fabulous i i love what you said and actually i have an episode of the podcast on pause, which I caused called pause is powerful. And you're making me think, I might change that to silence mm -hmm. because that's the essence of the message in the podcast episode. It links to my online training platform. So I'll take an opportunity now, if I may, listeners to share with you, to remember, to flick back to previous episodes. A lot of what Adriana and I are talking about, I have shared in episodes on how to affect change in certain areas here to practice pause and silence and why it is so impactful and powerful. You can do that through the podcast, but you can also do it, like you said, through my online platform. Just click the link in the bio or in the show notes. And if you have any questions, get in touch with me and ask. Let's go back to that silence for a moment. It's this I love. For me, this is one of the flip the coin moments where we look at what Eastern and even Northern European cultures are fantastically good at and Western cultures are less good at, and that is sitting in silence. So Americans, for example, the Irish, 
for example, will fill the silence with words that may have no meaning whatsoever because they're uncomfortable in it, creating that awkwardness. In, in Finland, for instance, in Japan, places like that, silence is golden. It's necessary to allow that time for thinking. Would that be your experience as well? We've got a coin flip culturally on this. Um, so I'm from Central Europe. Um, but I discovered my spiritual side a couple of years ago. So I've been reading and learning, learning from the Eastern cultures. Um, but coming from Central Europe where I come from, there's, yeah, I'm actually very straight up. I wasn't, I was not good with silence. I'm coming from a very loud family, coming from a very opinionated family. Mm, lots of debating and conversations and exchanges and loudness and shouting and screaming, nearly like an Italian version somewhere. Okay. So it took me years to learn to embrace silence. And I learned that also spending longer periods of time on my own in solitude. Um, through solitude, I learned so much about people and communication that very often I am able to convey a message stronger with if I stay silent and I let the other person express whatever they need to express specifically in the diversity and inclusion field I am at times I unearth conversations and discussions and topics that are painful unpleasant mm -hmm. uncomfortable therefore I need to be able to hold space for others, meaning sitting in silence and just observing whatever's unfolding around me and allowing people to, to, to express their emotions and feelings and tell me somewhere in between those emotions, there's a key piece of information that I'm looking for. And that goes back to that practice of allowing people to be heard, doesn't it? Just let them talk. People tell us everything just watch you can practice this going into uh, a coffee meeting with a friend and consciously make a decision that i'm gonna maybe just throw one or two questions into the conversation and then i'm just gonna follow it up with silence and you will see the amount of information people will voluntarily tell you even things you, you don't even ask for, or even in meetings. The moment you offer someone silence, they will fill it for you. <laughs> Depending on the culture that you're communicating with. And then, <laughs> but but, it's, but it, it, actually, it is true. And I, I do say depending on the culture, but if you offer enough silence to a culture that is comfortable in silence, eventually the, the commentary will come anyway yeah and, and they will honor and, and they will respect mm. that you are giving them the silence they know and feel comfortable in yeah and they will respect you back with a great answer or collaboration yeah yeah beautiful oh such resonance i feel with you 
we've only got a 10 or 15 minutes left and I do want to be respectful of your times. A couple of other things that came up that I really thought you had a beautiful perspective on. But before we go to, to that question, I don't know if I can ask you about that recent fellowship you got. Is that okay to ask about yeah. on the podcast? Yeah. So congratulations, first of all. It's a key area. I mean, as someone who grew up, who grew up in Dundalk from the end of the 80s, but his grandparents were in Dundalk throughout the 80s and mother grew up in earlier times there. Peace and any form of peace coming to those areas is of incredible importance and resonates with my heart. So you've got a fellowship on the with the Centre for Democracy and Peace Building. What will you be doing as part of that fellowship? Um, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. It's a six months leadership programme. And this specifically focusing on the leaders of the future, the next generation of leaders as such. This fellowship program was um, kind of appeared post pandemic, post Brexit, post these, you know, um, massive events that happened. And obviously um, the collapse of Stormont and not having leaders in position. So this program will is bring in 24 leaders together, 12 from political backgrounds, another 12 from civic and business. So we will take a trip to Oxford and we go through different, you know, different workshops around communication and capacity building and all of this. Um, somewhere I made an impression. I made must have had a great interview, but I know I'm also passionate about peace building. I do believe peace is a human right. But I also believe that peace is something that every single person also, peace is also a civic right, but it's also a civic responsibility. Mm. Peace is something that we all should be working towards, regardless whether we come from an area where there were troubles or not, or experienced, you know, unrest or racism. Regardless, even myself, I'm a white privileged person. I least I can do is is be involved and 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 help the help others. But I think there's there's also a holistic element of peace that I'm not sure whether we 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 talk about enough is and it could be peace of mind, mm -hmm. peace of there's a there's all the physical element of peace is yeah, it's it's peace is complex because peace has not just the peace of mind, but also the physical element in your body, the peace that if you're at peace, you're not producing cortisol, you're healthier, you're a you're a better person, you know, you're 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 healthier physically, and your mental health is better, your mental well-being, all of that. So peace is for me is massive because it has all of these different, you know, layers to it. And every one of us should be looking at peace as a key element of our lives. And whether we're working on community peace, whether we're working on internal peace, but we should be working on something around peace. And then as part of, as being in a corporate world, I believe that there's also an element that our private businesses, specifically in Northern Ireland, they should play a key role in building peace. So 
whether through programs, because at the moment, when you, you look at PACE, it's very much owned by the charity sector or the public sector. And these are the only programs you see people doing peace programs or... Yeah, I've done a couple of dramas. Conflict resolution or community building. That's yeah. all done by charity. Where is the civic responsibility or the, the CSR responsibility? The corporate social responsibility, not just sustainability or diversity, peace. You think what pops into my head there is a CEO or the CSR manager in the organization. So I play devil's advocate. Please do. I, I agree with you, but I, I will play devil's advocate. If we go down the road of, of fostering peace and talking about peace and putting messages out there about peace, then we become political and organizations aren't supposed to be political. What right. do you say back but to Peace them? should not be political. Uh -huh. So who has responsibility for peace? We all do. Do you have peace of mind? Peace of heart. Yeah. So redefining peace. Redefining peace. Oh. You can tell me to feck off now, right? <laughs> I'm going to no, throw no. it at you, but mm -hmm. if you were to redefine peace, just in this moment, not saying that you wouldn't change it in 10 minutes when you leave and go, oh shit, I should have said that. But how would you redefine peace in a brief definition? Um, it's it's an element that sits between the heart and the mind that connects it brings back that human human side of us I think it's that it's a, yeah yeah collect yeah it's it's you're it's a tough question you asked yes. me how did I, 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 I did acknowledge that it was I know I know very <laughs> tough question for me um peace sits be between the heart and the mind it's that lump in your throat that you shouldn't have that's exactly what I thought when you said that you've just given me goosebumps when you said it's an element between the heart and mind, the throat chakra was the first thing that I thought yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of the time, it's, for, yeah, totally get it. Communication. Yeah. If you're at peace, your communication, cha everything changes. Yeah. And when you, link, when you link the heart and the mind, you know, that lump disappears in your throat and the weight of your shoulders and that peace of mind appears. And your everything, your values change, your purpose in life changes, your goals change, the way you see humans, everything changes. But you need to link those two in the middle. And that piece probably sits in there when you, when you, yeah, it's, the, it's that lump in the throat. <laughs> I know why they picked you. <laughs> I'd pick you too, most definitely. That was beautiful. And would you believe I'm currently writing my first book? on my experience of the Camino de Santiago, which I walked to move from my head to my heart. The goal title of my book is From Head to Heart. And that's wonderful. Which incidentally was also talked about on an episode a couple of weeks ago. 
with Ella and Anna, who are purveyors of peace. Ella is somebody actually I'd love to connect you with. She does a lot of work with the Desmond Tutu Foundation in the UK and has a title Peace in the City, I think. I think there might be a nice conversation there for you too. You bounce off each other fairly well. Wow, what a conversation. That was beautiful. I can see a logo and everything. Ooh, I'll be able to say in a few years' time when this new peace logo comes out and we have the head and the heart and the throat in between that I, I might have been part of that first question that brought around that thinking. <laughs> oh, there's my, Can you redefine peace? Uh, redefining peace, which you might title this episode. Uh, we'll see. I didn't think we'd go in this direction and how beautiful it was. I, I really loved that. You've left me with a lump in my throat of emotion, not of disconnection. So thank you. It was really, really beautiful. My pleasure. I want to ask you briefly, if I can, we've got six minutes left. So I think we can get this question in before the last question that I ask everybody. You gave a beautiful image to me in your TEDx talk about the kaleidoscope. And when we imagine the colours of the kaleidoscope, we can't see them individually, but we group them. And they, the groups that we put them into demonstrate our perceptions or our filters and potentially our biases and judgments. Can you share a little bit more on that? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the kaleidoscope, um, it's a plethora of colours and you would struggle to pick one that you like. You like them all, but they only make a beautiful piece together. And I think it's very similar to also stereotyping. You know, we we stereotype people based on a piece of information that we briefly look at. But if you were if you were to ask, um, if you were to let's say if you were to ask me whether I am the average representation of a Slovakian person, I would say no, I'm not. You could never stereotype me because I spent the past twenty years in Northern Ireland. So there's that 50-50 element. So there's that extra element into my color. I added a new color into my color. I added the green and, and the blue, sorry, the yellow and the blue, and I got green now. So you could no longer stereotype me or the way I signed because I am not the average representation of the Slovakian culture. I am not the average representation of the Hungarian, Northern Northern Irish. I am the yellow and the blue, and maybe if you add a bit of red, then it's a purple. So I am no longer a colour. I am a kaleidoscope. I am this plethora of colours. Therefore, you cannot define me and not define how I sound because you would be stereotyping. So that's roughly about the kaleidoscope, you know, this, yeah. That's how you should imagine when you're thinking about people that every mm. single human is a kaleidoscope itself and look through the kaleidoscope or at the kaleidoscope or into the kaleidoscope with the same level of joy and interest and curiosity that you do a kaleidoscope and you should absolutely think of every single human you meet in your life that that's that is who they are 
the collection of their childhood experiences, who they, where they come from, who they are, how they were brought up, whatever happened to them or whatever they read or watched or seen or heard or digested, that's a kaleidoscope. Beautiful. It's fabulous, fabulous <laughs> way to think about it. It really, really is. And brings you into the words you spoke at coming near the end of that TEDx talk or find common ground through our differences, which amazed me because in my second or third podcast episode, I talk about native speakerism and my tagline is unite in celebration of our differences, which was just synonymized of, of your words. Really powerful. I'm looking forward to following your journey and, and seeing what you bring to the north of my country and to, to peace and to what else to everything else that you touch because I believe the kaleidoscope can only keep spinning for you it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you very much really so the last question I ask to everyone who comes on the podcast is that it's called connected communication as you know what does connected communication mean to you oh great question connected communication As we talked earlier on about peace and, you know, the throat chakra and, and I think connected communication is when the elements of when your elements are connected to the collective elements. So when your elements, and I mean your heart, your mind, um, your throat is connected to the collective human elements, which, yeah. Hmm. It's, it's tough because I've always been a firm believer of doing things for the greater good. Hmm. So connected communication is when I'm unselfishly communicating, whenever I am communicating, very aware of myself and others. That's when I feel connected, when I'm aware of myself and others, and that's how I communicate and, and with the purpose of a greater good. Oh, beautiful. I love asking that question because everybody's, as you can no doubt guess, answer is different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really fabulous. Thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to add before we go? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, self-awareness is something, you know, that me and you connected on. And I would certainly love to have more conversations around that. But there's, there's always a sentence that I wish like like to share with, with people, you know, to that I live by is my secret um, to live in is giving love, time, Presence and forgiven. Oh. Absolutely beautiful. And again, worthy of that silence. Listeners, <laughs> oh, what do I say? As I always say to anyone who has resonated with anything Adriana has said or, or I have said today, please let us know. 
if anything has sparked an emotion in you and you need to reach out and share and talk about your experiences, share your story or have a need to feel heard, I definitely am happy to hold space. And I don't want to presume that you will, but you're nodding your head there. So I'm guessing that that's an okay thing as well. Please do reach out. The links will be in the show notes to be able to find you to be able to get in touch with me. If anyone would like to answer that question for me, what does connected communication mean to you? Do please go to my website and click on the send a voicemail button on the side and send me a little voicemail. It's also nice to know that you're listening (laughs) and you answer those questions. So I encourage you to let me know. Other than that, as always, thank you for listening. Whether you're a returning listener or somebody who is new, I hope you will come back if you're new please hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star review if you'd five-star it. We'll accept a four. Nothing less than that, I hope. (laughs) And share it with anybody you feel will benefit from hearing Adriana's words today. You are a gift. I'm very glad that you landed in Northern Ireland when you did. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your energy and space with me today, Adriana. I really do appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Until next time, listeners. Banakti, Agus Poikas.